0: Cool.
1: In times like these, being a citizen is a big job. Thank you for joining us to celebrate the virtues of self-rule and discuss the state of our republic. Welcome to the Citizen's Prerogative Podcast. This is the voice of your nerdy host, Michael Piscatelli, and we are blessed with a co-host whose passion for our republic precedes him everywhere he goes, Raymond Wong junior Jello. This is episode number 19. We're in season two, and what we're going to talk about today is about, we're going to carry forward the conversation about centralized authorities, administrative states, and uh, democracy in the republic, the opposite side of that coin, in all the ways that we are able to create resiliency for sustaining democracy. In our republic, and it and it has to do with the juxtaposition against centralization. Something good about distribution.
0: Well, we want to be clear that this is actually a position that we've been pretty consistent on because we've been talking about small business. Uh, since, since the early episodes. So I think that small business is a great example of, of decentralization, right? So I think we all talk about the, that we're killing small business, but in fact it's, it's centralization, which is killing small business and it's killing our job.
1: Yeah, because the downside of centralization is, you know, ever growing efficiency. Um, and efficiency isn't a friend of full employment, that much is for sure.
0: What happens with efficiency? So you have that ever that, that growing efficiency, but then the other side of it, the the uh, this efficiency comes the power, and that's the problem. Is that there's this uh, there was this mistake. Or there's this, there's this, there's something coming out of the experiment that we didn't expect. And the cream that's rising to the top isn't exactly what we'd want. um, but it's now this this overarching power and 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 almost too much power through this centralization of the system. So I think we're really going to focus on that and how it it's actually causing more challenges than benefits for our, our current vehicle.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and today we'll be mostly focused on uh, the Republic side. Uh, In the past, like you said, Ray, you mentioned small business, so that's democratization through decentralization on the economic front, especially when it comes to the distribution and command of capital uh, for people. But this time, we're going to focus more on the administrative side and look at the Republic and. You know, the biggest, most blaring, risky area of centralization that's occurred in modern history for our system of governance is the executive branch, right? Everything from the president down, um, all the armed services and, you know, military operations um, across the entire country, as well as uh, justice system, you know, all components of that. It's it's interesting, and then you know, internationally, presidents have a lot of uh, power—not just to wage war, but when negotiating treaties and contracts, things of that nature. And then you know, you see how it can extend down and cause uh, some problems for us here down on the ground when that centralized authority is abused. So the risk side of that is uh, you don't have. Uh, a lot of um, disparate voices, you know, you don't have a lot of things to question authority in that branch whatsoever. It's designed to be top down. Um, and then at Cheers. a local level, right. That we, This is where we're supposed to be conducting things like voting. So voting, voting's a really accessible and uh, illustrative way for us to talk a little bit about where we feel like, The roles belong, you know, what level of authority gets should be exerted at at what points and for what reason. And it's all going to be purpose driven. Um, It has to be, if something's going to be efficient, it's going to be efficient for a purpose. In economics, efficiency, the purpose of that is, you know, to ever increase your returns for, um, you know, the minimum amount of assets that are required or whatnot, or the minimum amount of cost. And so in our system, we we have to have government is very different. Government is not economics. It is not business. And there's a purpose and a reason for all of that. So we'll we'll keep that clearly in the crosshairs for any argument, uh, you know, opposed to something or in support of it. So from uh, an executive branch perspective, let's just say uh, we've mentioned it on multiple occasions. Our are the forebearers of this country uh, who originally, you know, penned its contract paper were very skeptical of centralized authority. We were gaining our independence from a king uh, and a monarchy and religious rule, all of those things, this monopoly on power that existed in the old system. And we overthrew it, air quotes, you know, uh, installed many kings, <laughs> many executives uh, to distribute that power so that you know no one individual can become a king ever again. And it, it was difficult uh, for us to have this presidency at the start. Washington, the only reason why we have a peaceful transition of power is because the first president set the precedence. Washington.
0: And he didn't actually say two terms is enough or anything like that. He just he, he gave a very, much more eloquent speech that I won't won't give today. But I think that he had the right idea of relinquishing power or, or, or giving it up is, is the best thing you can do for the democracy. So, so bowing out is the best way you can help any people move on or help that. So he set that precedence. You're right. Mike, but I think the challenge is that that role went from being um, highly ceremonial, um, being a, really a role that was meant to organize, bring order to chaos. The board would say um, they were really they were really there to deal with the fact that committees were not working because the original structure of the government is that we they were going to figure out everything through committees and they're going to do everything through the votes through the through Congress, etc. They just couldn't settle it, right? The country was too divided that it needed leadership, it needed a vision, it needed an image. And Washington gave us that that first image and precedence. Now the, the challenge is that as time has gone on, they've, they've perverted the power, right? So just like religion's been taken hold of that executive branch, um, there has been major incidents throughout our history and what we need to do and why this is going to be a complex conversation that will probably span for some time is that every major historical event, the executive branch leveraged to increase their importance in the role of the government. So being more ceremonious, much like the royal family in some ways, they, the government or the, the executive branch itself began to push what the other branches would bear, right? So I hope hopefully everyone understands that, is that the executive branch only operates at what the other two branches will allow. And we see that in play during our current state of governmental affairs, right? So so looking at the way things have gone, again, the executive branch is an evolution of major events. When a great war happened, they took great executive powers. When 9-11 happened, great executive powers in practices of mass consolidation or decentralization occurred. So understand that Mike and I are pulling from a, a deep well, and we're not going to be able to cover it all today, but understand the executive branch itself is an exercise in continuous centralization when we needed leadership. We didn't need them to catch it and keep it. We needed them to catch and release like a good leader does. You develop your people But right now we have a problem because centralization is, is, is a little unfocused. It's, it's everywhere. Instead of being where it should be like during a pandemic, when, when centralization is supposed to be employed, right? It's the only time the government should be fully in our faces is when we have a major incident, which is affecting the entire world and or nation. Um, But because we're so busy being centralized on everyone's life including women's vaginas they're too busy the government's too busy focusing on everything else except for the pandemic
1: we're going to pause there because we're having some technical difficulties um,
0: is it digitization?
1: it's digitization let's stop recording sound check sound it's check the prep this is the
0: prep for the reboot <clears throat> mm-hmm. what comes next when okay let's see let's see if it's working I how think, do I sound am I coming through
1: I think you're coming through
0: okay hold on let me try to focus on the, the microphone you are my friend I'm gonna focus on you mm-hmm. okay. we'll do this yeah
1: all right I think we can pick up
0: you feel good yeah, yeah. Lily letter led better Lily
1: letty led okay <laughs> Lily lettered um, so coming off the heels of a little interruption for technical difficulties we were talking about the beauty of George Washington handing over the reins of power at the end of his presidency setting that precedence right at the beginning for how this new republic would function with a tr- uh, peaceful transition of power. And it's very democratic. And it's interesting because of all of the um, paintings that are in like the rotunda in Washington DC in the Capitol building, there is one in particular, the only one of Washington really is him handing over, you know, symbolically handing over power back to the people, back to Congress. Um, because back in the day, Congress is who selected the President. <laughs> uh, so we wouldn't we wouldn't even have a moment of symbolism like that today in in the way we've implemented more democracy in the Republic since then. Um, but the symbolism' is still very true. and and we had a good taste of what a transition of power might be like if it wasn't completely peaceful. So, you know, if there's ever a silver lining, um, to any series of events it's because it you know shows us some truths that we need to reckon with
0: and that the system is always tested and the work is never done and, and i and we and we hearken back to the very wisely selected words of you know to create a more perfect union so it's the admission that we have so much work
1: we have so much work still to do It is true. So um, with that in mind, I think we're going to go ahead and pause really quick um, because we're about time for a mineral, according to time. And then we'll switch gears and start talking about the other side of this coin of centralization. The beauty and resiliency of decentralization. But first, a word from our sponsor, Citizen Good. Fulfilling a dream where all possess an intrinsic love for self-rule that is reciprocated with free speech and equal justice under the law. Citizen Do Good values the promise of all of the amendments to the Constitution along with the original core documents. Taken together, they form a framework and an operating manual for the Republic that provides us the means to change with the times. The time is now to deeply re-examine our current implementation of governance for the dawning of a new day. We are a proud sponsor of the Citizen's Prerogative Podcast, a major partner in spreading the good word about civic love and power of change for us all. Help us to stay on mission and grow this community by rating the podcast with five stars on iTunes, through the app on the web, or on your device. If you don't feel like you can give us five stars, let us know why on our sponsor's Facebook page, Citizen Do Good. Like and follow it to help out even further. Also, make sure you join our newsletter at CitizenDogood.com. You'll get updates every couple of months on all of our antics, not just the podcast. While you're there, check out the shop, which has your favorite merch and provides a way to make a one-time contribution to help us pay for production and hosting. Feel free to share any suggestions you have directly through the contact us page. Thanks for your support.
0: I think the good news is that we do not centralize the ways you can support us. We have decentralized the many ways that you can help um, by listening, by providing your feedback, uh, by supporting us. I think we've given you so many, that's the beauty of decentralization. That there's, And we see that throughout the system. Now there is some good, in centralization that's needed. So I think we'll have a robust discussion about uh, the good, the bad and the ugly when it comes to um, centralization because it's not always bad news. I think it's necessary in historical context. Um, some things you've taught me, Michael, about the justice system being established. Um, centralization was needed for an authority figure to come down and say, no, you know, newly elected uh, black, uh, individual citizens are being murdered and the government must step in because the states cannot handle it so it makes sense but i'm more of a catch and release so i hope we can get better to that point of catching it and then the government releases it once they stabilize it
1: yeah catch builds builds those uh, teams to go after those missions that you know are paramount of in the time and i think you know one of the good examples you threw out, that we're going through right now is the pandemic. Pandemic is not business as usual. This is that's an this is an exceptional event to occur in our lifetimes, and in order to rise to such an exceptional event, you sometimes need the strong hand of a leader of a you know leadership that's going to guide everyone through it through the chaos, the confusion. Um, but then, if we're going to be resilient. Like you said, you catch it, you get it under control, but then you release it. We learned our lessons. Here's what went well. Here's what didn't go well. Now, um, take this and integrate it into the state so that it's more resilient and and capable of responding, mustering a response to something like this again in the future. Hard to predict, but when it's happened, you have to be able to plan for it. In the similar vein, and to hearken it back to the Justice Department, thank you, Ray, voting rights is gonna be a very tangible, accessible, and critical thing for citizens to zero in on in the coming years. Um, There is a war being waged again against democracy against the equal right to vote for every citizen, for every citizen to be counted as a full human. And it's concerted, and it is a means for a group of people to try and retain power despite any merit. Um, it's, It's scary to see people with authoritarian tendencies actively moving against the forces of democracy in our republic but it's kind of always been that way right it's always we've always been a land of dichotomies
0: i'm glad you said that it's always been that way michael because we have to remind everyone that the founding fathers you know let's not get it twisted they did not give rights to 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 my to the minorities um, they they required you to be a land owner in order to vote, so there wasn't even a broad issuance of the vote. Right, so we have not we're not technically losing rights. We're always fighting to establish the baseline. So everyone needs to understand that there is no baseline. There's no expectation. It's it's kind of what we fight for as people. And the way it started is that rich white men with land had the vote. Thankfully, we're not there anymore.
1: Yeah, we've, it's been, um, I would say, a steady march, but haphazard march from that point in the past uh, to move us towards a much more democratic version of ourselves. But much work left to be done. As we say in some of the other um, versions of Citizen Do Goods plugs, you know, the war is never over. Uh, every battle counts. And, and so to, to establish, retain, and advance the right to vote, the equal access <laughs> um, and counting of every vote is has always been a challenge. And it's, and it's a battle. It's a, it's a war. Uh, we have to continue to wage to win for ourselves, for every citizen. And it's interesting because it's also, you know, it's an area where you can look at uh, the danger of totalitarian power and also the beauty of democratization or decentralization because we conduct elections on a county by county basis. And there's more than 3,000. I don't know, maybe that number is far off, but, you know, it's at least greater than the number 3,000 counties in the United States, which means there's that many ways to conduct elections. Now, Keep in mind, we're all U.S. citizens. We're all citizens of the federal government, not citizens of a state. And so we are imbued with our vote, with our right to vote through that citizenship under the federal guidelines. And the federal government has a responsibility to make sure that as citizens, we're fully enfranchised. That's part of its mission, or at least that was part of the mission for it to be stood up in the first place, the pursuit of happiness, right? equal justice under the law, all that good stuff. And so here we are, we've got all these little uh, governments trying out different ways, and we've got everything right now to point to to say what works well, and it really depends on your goal or your purpose, because there are examples of voter suppression that works well. And there's examples of enfranchisement that work well, right? Like I think, is it Washington State where all you have to do is register to get a license, and you're automatically um, on the voter roll, and it's mail-in oh. ballot for everybody. That's it's a it's, an, it's a modern yeah it's a modern example of what uh, a government can do if it really wants to enfranchise citizens. You. Okay. Automatically enroll people to vote, and you mail ballots by default.
0: I do feel like somewhat we're a little bit there. We're not there yet, but we're a little bit there because when we do our vehicle registration and we do our license renewals, that's tied in. So the voter registration and everything, the early mail voting, it's all integrated there. So I I do agree that Arizona has their uh, their their voting stuff together. I've always felt that way as far as early voting. But we have some very strict voter-led initiative laws, I think, that put that in place.
1: That would make sense. And then even in California, the ability to draw the maps, um, the the maps that they use to decide where congressional boundaries are and, you know, who, when I vote, which congressional representative and my options am I voting for? those maps in california now are drawn by an independent committee but that was only because of a ballot initiative <laughs> so that's the other extreme of like democratization we were talking before the recording about a upcoming recall effort against the governor of california and you know you asked me how i feel about that and you know where i stand on it and I see it in the same kind of sense as ballot initiatives. Um, It it really depends on what the goal or the purpose of having citizens vote on ballot initiatives is. And, you know, you got to look at the danger side of things because basically a recall against the governor, um, it's essentially an impeachment. I'll call it that because that's familiar in people's minds right now. You know you, you, we are dissatisfied with your performance. Uh, you're no longer going to be government governor, and we're having a snap election to decide whether you keep your job. It's like a no faith, um, no confidence event that happens in parliamentary systems. So, they have a snap election basically to say, Are we going to keep the current leadership? Uh, are we going to switch it up? And California has done this before, that's how. Governor Schwarzenegger came into power originally. It was a recall effort against Gray Davis, I think that was his name. Don't quote me. But in any case, it's happening, and I don't. I I think it's dangerous because I don't know. You know, just because you can collect a number of citizens' signatures doesn't necessarily mean that somebody's performance is impeachable, impeachment worthy. I think maybe we've set the bar a little too low in California for a lot of different things. And I threw out Prop 8, which was a a ban on gay marriage in California, which eventually went up to the Supreme Court and won gay marriage in every state. It's very interesting to see how the pendulum can swing, and it's important that we allow the pendulum to swing, but we have to be careful about how hard and how quickly and how often,
0: right? Because stability is a problem. You talked about the justice system. It's a good practice because one of the systems that I continue to have faith in is the justice system. And why? Well, you haven't seen the justice system creating a lot of centralization. And in fact, they've, they've been very good about decentralizing their system and having different circuits and different networks for their appeals process. And why? Even the justice department, department or the justice system or that's the, the, that branch of the government understands that there is a unique, you know, segue a, 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 to every local government, that everything runs differently, right? Otherwise, why wouldn't we just have the federal government, you know, just really do everything all the way down? We have a set of counties and systems and circuits because of the complexity. And they know that decentralization helps helps facilitate a grand conversation and it's supposed to take a while people think efficiency is good no communist countries are efficient that's not good yes china got control of the coronavirus but probably not the way we all would have liked you know i think they went they were very extreme right off the bat right we wouldn't be comfortable with
1: the measures yeah not not under a quote-unquote free society you know and, and that's a great way to, because that's harkening back to the previous episode where we were pointing out other nation states that have centralized authorities, but we wanted to bring it home, you know, to juxtaposition it, to warn people about the risks, the pitfalls, and that we have them and they're very real here. So, and... <laughs> It's it's nice to have competition. Efficiency is good for you if you own a business as an individual business, right? Markets are you know are trying to achieve ever you know greater points of efficiency, but that's mostly to um, it's it's transactions. It's just finding the optimal point price point for transactions. But in any case, to bring it home, in government, in societies of people, you know, for people you want debate you want more thought not less thought um, nobody wants nobody in the united states should want to live under an oligarchy or one you know one group of power one is isolated concentrated source of power it's just so dangerous like you said before ray you know if somebody wants to turn the lever the whole ship goes and if and if it does it could capsize and we don't want that here. And if we have to slow things down to make it happen, then so be it, so that more rational minds come to bear. And we're not making decisions fast and emotionally that there's some modicum of evidence that has to come to bear on decision-making. And, and you're right. The, the gears of the judicial system are intended to operate at a different pace because of the purpose of it.
0: Over the right pace the and, right and, base and what's right and it what's doesn't wrong. even
1: it doesn't even even work that well right it's trying to mitigate the worst parts of our human our emotional nature and we still put innocent people away constantly
0: right <laughs> it's, 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 it's the system they have right they, They have to deal with what the the two branches are feeding them, right? Because the laws that are being created are not supporting education, development of society. And the executive branch is not sticking up for the little guy. They're supposed to be the enforcer and the reason and the leadership. And none of them are playing their role. So the judiciary is trying to survive in a sea of, of, I don't know, bloodlust. Whatever's going on on the ground level there with the powers that be. So I also stress that the executive branch is that, it's, it's again, it's created its own powerful position now. We, we, it has a lot of power. It's completely subjective. There's nothing in the law or constitution that provides it the kind of sweeping power it has today. It's just that every time there was a major event, like I said earlier, they never gave it back. And, and we need to kind of ask and demand for that that back because the centralization is causing more bad than good right the the states have the ability to make decisions for themselves um what i like to do is just kind of push back on a couple of things that they do that the, the states really should be returned to that we know has really globalized like taxation is a good piece because we were talking about already but the federal government takes so much tax and give so little back to the states directly, right? I think we need to take a big analyzation of why the federal government has any business taxing us, and why don't we just leave it to the states, and the states can fund the the, the federal, right? Right now, I think the federal gets it first, and then they filter it down to the states and the cities, and places like California and the major economies pay considerably more, and then they get a little bit back but doesn't make sense to me how that system's mutually beneficial and that's and you and California's uniquely at that fight right and i guess that's the point of decentralization is that california's there to hold the flag and say hey meanwhile something's not fair um and that's that's kind of the i guess that's kind of the point for the decentralization is but well I'll talk, I'll also
1: pause. also resiliency um i think one of the you know, it, it, it's very difficult to throw an election in this country um, unless you have the judiciary involved, um, you know, or the Congress involved in selecting the president. In which case, you know, we've taken a step back from democracy in those instances. Um, the pop, We could talk about popular vote and whatnot. Um, that's just specifically for the president that we have the uh, Electoral College. Um, but in any case, it's very hard to throw an election because we do it county level, county by county, and it's important to have decentralization, especially for resiliency sake. And we're going to find in many cases on a macro level, when you look at centralization, you will find things become more brittle, um, more, more likely uh, to be you know, predisposed to becoming damaged and, and falling into a state of corruption or disrepair. And that's why, you know, communist states have been less than successful because of the human aspect that gets ignored. Whereas our system has a lot of um, things that are intended to be checks and balances, uh, ballasts, uh, things that try to be in opposition from one another to prevent, you know, any um, grossly poor decisions from being made at a large scale. And so if you do have issues with voting and you have corruption, usually it's voter suppression. It's preventing people from voting, not overcounting votes um, in most cases. But the fact that you would have to, you know, hack, attack, whatever, every county gives it some semblance of resilience. Uh, we, we do have to be careful what kind of systems we implement over those things, because if you take like, maybe you you take and you install Microsoft on every voting machine, In the country. Maybe not every county goes to machines, but if you install one operating system on every voting machine, you're losing resiliency. You're losing a little insulation from issues occurring. So we need to be pragmatic and purposeful when we're examining how we're adjusting things on a local level. And we need to further seek opportunities to bring things to a local level, like you're saying, Ray when when it comes time to implementation when it comes time to the reality on the ground of how my life is going to be in relation to state power that is very local and when we see too much involvement from the federal government down to the local level we're losing we're losing the resiliency and the beauty of this pluralistic republic and and the many layers to it that give us the opportunity to try and pursue happiness given you know our environments because the environments cross country are very different both culturally and physically so in any case to be adaptable we know our problems locally you know one federal program to dam all rivers is probably a bad idea <laughs> when local areas need to decide when and where they want to use hydroelectric versus this versus that everybody needs to be given that opportunity to have agency over their governance, over their government. And so the federal government needs to find opportunities to make citizens' lives better, but not through its own hand necessarily. So we, partnerships. in partnerships and eventually we'll look at taxation and policies and things like that. But if it is for the purpose of just making sure the right things are funded and that taxes are paid to fund those things, so be it. But implementation really should be local as much as possible and with oversight from a federal authority. So somebody who's looking out for the citizens to say, hey, wait a minute, we know this state over here, these states have found a lot of success in franchising people to vote. These over here have an opposite pattern, and that is not good for citizens at large, that citizens in the Northwest votes get counted more often, more frequently, than citizens in the Southeast for instance there's a problem there
0: right and then it's like it's almost like they haven't governance has not taken its role as big data i'm sorry as i try to overrun you but the governance is the issue that government should be and i think we're talking a little bit about that they should be more oversight and advise and oversight and advise not come in and and try to do everything yourself because you can do it right because you're the big government no you need to see what's happening in the incubators of democracy every state is an incubator of democracy and that's where you come in as a federal government and you say okay best practices best practices you you know too many of your babies are dying and we know how to take care of it because in the northwest they have this wonderful thing called modern medicine and and so as things go on you try to encourage the states to improve their citizens lives because that's your job as a government right but I don't think we even do anything like that. The government has the data, but I don't know what they're doing with it. They're funding or they're doing pork bell barrel projects that they think will feed the need, right? But Mm -hmm. in in actuality, they should be funding, the states should be taking care of themselves, and the government should be kind of, again, giving that oversight. And I want to stress that. Centralization is a challenge, and we're seeing an experiment in centralization in our government and in our overall society. I hope that Walmart and Amazon have been the experiment of the grandest centralization experiment we've seen, and we're about done with it, right? I really hope we're gonna go back to small business. And I'm not saying Amazon needs to be broken up, but Amazon needs to break itself up and get back to investing in communities the right way with brick and mortar with localization because centralization is not showing any good results it's it's only showing good results for the people at the top with unions forming and everyone getting in a in a huff how can you say that it's that it's working centralization works
1: yeah for and it goes back to a purpose or a point and you know i always think of it like well someone who owns a business has a right to see that that business is run a certain way. But outside of that, I, you know, I don't see this command control authority system as being compatible with freedom um, and self-governance and things like that. So we have to be using it very judiciously as a tool that belongs to solve specific problems, purpose-based and then even you know step in an emergency, and then learn and hand things back, and say, okay, well now each of you, you know, local governments or whatnot, can build this into your resiliency plans or whatnot. Think about think about the electrical grid. So, you know, Texas was the most recent one in the news. The Northeast, New York, was in the news prior to that. You know, years before that, not just because of uh, Hurricane Sandy, but there was a massive blackout there in New York. Way back in the day, in the '50s, there's actually a there's a stage play or something about that. But then also um, recently, and so our our grid, our massive one size one massive grid fits all philosophy from you know industrialized age doesn't work anymore. It's not resilient. It's not going to serve us into the future. And it's yeah. a our infrastructure is a critical point of weakness that we haven't had to address because we've never executed war on our soil since the civil war so you know we've never really i mean the military knows what china russia and others know where to hit us where to knock out our knees um so i mean i'm taking it to a strategic point of view (laughs) we need resiliency on a local level and it's not just everybody needs to have guns (laughs) and if the answer is everybody needs to have guns then everybody needs to get trained (laughs) (laughs) i don't know that that's actually a requirement i think that's kind of like state by state oh yeah (laughs) right (laughs) some places maybe you get it at birth it's like here's your birth certificate and your glock i don't know but um, (laughs)
0: like my first bullet
1: (laughs) first bullet yeah like we have a a little shoes or a teacup or something there's like a little
0: like a bronzed gun like a little baby glock a baby clock.
1: Oh, America. Anyway, all joking aside, it, there's a point in time for centralization, but it's not compatible at large with the systems we prefer to have in this country. But that we, we shouldn't just ignore that. And we have to be... The reason why we we're picking on the federal government, at least specifically the, the executive branch where the president resides is because it's more powerful than it's ever been and it's riskier than it's ever been. I mean, the
0: best example of centralization, like go look at its history. This is, we're not saying it's wrong, but where's the catch and release? Centralization is good as long as you don't have a madman at the helm. (laughs) That's the issue is that, and and again, this is all subjective power that the, the executive branch has taken. So that's what I'm saying is like, then you get one person who's, just lies out of their teeth and then you have a near coup. So the question is where did we where is too much? Where is too much centralization? Where is too much power in administrative heads? And this is the true for your school boards, right? Why are the administrators paid six figures always? Cuz I remember when I looked at the education stream for my career, they said, "Oh, it's great. Once you get in and you get tenure and you get into administrative roles, it pays well." There's something wrong there, right? The administrators are paid well.
1: Yeah, we need did, education's a whole other area for us to reexamine. And I would say again, back to a silver lining, if there is one around the pandemic, it's forcing us to reexamine all of these old. Very old ways of doing things, and very old meaning in our times today. At the rate of change that we experience, our culture is not keeping pace with technology, um, <laughs> and it's, it's actually a huge
0: challenging, though, right? It's actually challenging one of the one of the oldest centralizations we've ever had, which is the centralization of your workforce. When, when, when lords and managers now have control and complete control of their workforce, it, you know, it used to be their whole life, but now it's eight hours a day, right? You are subject to that environment, you're subject to the people around you, and you're subject to whatever the company will give you during those eight hours. And the game is changing decentralization is, this is an example, again, I know I'm trying to oversimplify it, Mike, but it's, it is, we're experiencing it right now, because the office was a place to centralize us, to focus Mm -hmm. the economic activity, to get the businesses and the food trucks and all those businesses downtown. That's one of the biggest things I've heard from the outcome is that the cities are worried, because people aren't flowing in to spend their money. Well, maybe that's a broken model. Putting that much carbon dioxide into the atmosphere to get into the city so you can spend a little cheddar in the city seems nonsensical i agree Decentralize. sorry and i'm a city guy so this is really hard for me you guys i'm basically preaching but the cities guess what the cities will survive because they offer something you know in their own decentralized manner they offer something right there
1: yeah yeah, there Everyone is be like the cities. There's value. So ahead, yeah, there's value in centralization. There's value in, you know, metropolizing <laughs> where people live. Um, but again, we just have to be cautious about the purposes of it. And if we are going to continue to have sprawl, that sprawl needs to be able to sustain the environment that it exists in. So that's another area we're going to have to re-examine, but... I think for today we're out of time. Is there any final thoughts that you had?
0: Just that uh, I appreciate you letting this be a organic conversation because this is a tough one, and I, I hope those of you that are listening have, um, you know, maybe enjoyed the conversation and let us know if you'd like to hear more, less, or whatever. Because we're we're probably going to do whatever, but I, we do want that feedback um, and, and let us know because this is it's not easy to broach these subjects because I feel I can go a million different directions, but I'm doing my hardest to come from a logical place and a solution based place. And and I, I feel like we're doing that, but I am always open to that feedback. So um, Michael and I do not live in a a centralized mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, We are open to decentralized thought, which means we're looking forward to the onslaught of feedback that will eventually come uh, that will come Uh, I do believe, and that continues to come from friends, family, and all of the above. So just in saying that, again, um, I know this messes with kind of the core of what we are as Americans, right? The presidency, people are very passionate about it, but understand that we're not against the presidency, we're against the perversion of the presidency. We believe that the founding fathers set it up because it was necessary, but the figure is necessary, The, the leader is necessary they don't need to be driving the entire government through manipulation, coercion and pure politics. Yeah.
1: Amen. And and then that puts the onus on us as citizens to not show up just when the president is on the ballot, but to show up for all of our elections to be conscience, conscious, conscious and, and aware of who you're choosing to move where you live forward into whatever's next. And look at Congress, okay? We need to Congress needs to take its power back, but it won't take its power back unless we elect people who understand what that power is. Again, onus is back on us to elect those individuals. So with that, I'm sure we'll remind you all again when the next set of national lunches is coming, but in each local level, you need to be aware at the county level. So find out what county you live in, go to their website, figure out what's going on, make sure you're registered to vote. Otherwise, I think that'll do us all for now. We've been your hosts. Thank you to Mr. Raymond Wong Jr.
0: And thank you, uh, Mr. Fiscatelli. It's truly been administratively responsible.
1: It's been something that's for sure. For information on this and other episodes, head over to citizendugan.com and click on podcast. While you're there, hit up our contact us page and leave a comment. We'd love to hear from the community. We'd like to give special thanks to you, our listeners. We save the best for last. You are the best. You have been for years. And we thank you for your support. We know it can be painful. And we love you. Intro music sampled from OK Class by Ozzy Chalk under Creative Commons license through freemusicarchive.org. Other music
0: provided royalty-free through Fislian and Studios, Inc.